So Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the Matthew reading is on page 989 or... 698. 21, Matthew 21, 12 to 17, sorry. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read... From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And he left them and he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Uh, please join with me in prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this psalm that it speaks so volubly of your greatness and of our need. Father, we pray that as we consider your word now here and also uh, in the kids' church as well, that by your word and spirit that you would be changing our thinking, changing our attitudes, changing our lives, that we would be the people that you would have us be. In Jesus' name, amen. In three weeks from now, the world will remember a very important 50th anniversary on July the 20th, 1969, uh, countless millions around the globe huddled around televisions uh, in homes, in schools, in workplaces, in shops, in order to watch something which was happening a long way away. Now, I'm sure that as an eight-year-old at the time, I did not fully grasp the significance of all of this, but it was hugely significant as a man stepped out from a fragile spacecraft and put his foot on the surface of another celestial body, the moon. Does that feel like 50 years ago? Uh, it was a moment when it seemed that the world stood still, uh, when <clears throat> most other things in life just seemed unimportant. 
during their the journey of Apollo 11 to the moon, uh, those of us who were around at the time, we, we'd, thought, we'd heard a lot about their journey, we'd thought a lot about their journey and its progress, but at that moment, it was all about feelings. Our emotions soared in a profound sense of awe that two humans, Armstrong and uh, Buzz Aldrin, uh, were actually walking on the moon as Collins uh, stayed up there uh, to try to helpfully get them back home to Earth. And yet we were also humbled. As even just for a short uh, time, humanity uh, lifted our gaze from our everyday lives to consider the heavens, uh, to consider even just the moon, uh, one amongst the countless celestial bodies uh, in the heavens. I don't think we do that enough, do, do you? We don't do it enough. I mean, sometimes we do it. There might be times when we're we're outdoors in the evening and we happen to notice that there's a full moon and we think that's pretty spectacular and gaze at it for a little while. Or perhaps when we're out camping, we're uh, under the stars and our gaze is lifted and we look at the, um, the incredible um, skies, the heavens. And, and I guess that that's something which uh, would have been in, uh, a factor for, uh, for David. Uh, who wrote Psalm 8, if you'd like to have that open in front of you, because as a shepherd boy, he would have spent many nights um, under the stars, ca camping out in the crisp, clean air as he tended his father's flocks. And as he looked to the sky, like any thinking person, he was struck. Uh, not, not only with how great the creation is, but how majestic is the one who made it all. Uh, he begins this much-loved psalm in verses 1 and 2 saying, O Lord, um, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now he says, O Lord, our Lord, O Lord, uh, that's the, the Hebrew uh, name for God, it's the name Yahweh, but it's not just the, the name Yahweh that David's talking about. Uh, it's God's name. It's God's reputation. It's, it's what God has revealed about himself uh, in the heavenlies. And here, David is in awe of what he sees. David is in awe of God's greatness. Uh, we've learned so much about the universe in the past 50 years as um, space telescopes like Hubble have uh, <coughs> transmitted images back of, of celestial formations which just dazzle our minds uh, with their beauty and their, and their size. But David didn't need all of that because as he gazed in awe at the moon and the stars, he was humbled. For by comparison, how small is man? Verse 3, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. 
Notice that for David, the heavens are the work of God's fingers. Friends, God does not have physical fingers, right? Uh, But compared to God, the, the Milky Way is just tiny. All of the stars, all of the planets, all of the moons, well, they're just placed into position by the fingers of God. And what does that say about us? Compared to God, the heavens are small. Compared to the heavens, our planet is tiny and you and I, we are just specks of dust on that planet. And so in verse 4, David asks, why should the God of the universe have any interest in us? Uh, Why should God care for us? Why should he be mindful of us? Why, Why should God care anything? about you or me? And I think that's a good question. Why should God have any interest in our lives, in our joys, in our challenges, in our frustrations, in our sicknesses? Why should the God who flung stars into space, why should he even listen to our prayers? And the logical answer is that he shouldn't. Uh, Indeed, um, if God had not spoken to us uh, through um, his word and through the prophets, then we would simply have to conclude that we are but nothing. And so we might as well just eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die, meaningless specks of dust in the vastness of the universe. But friends, God has spoken to us. And he speaks to us through uh, the prophets. He speaks to us uh, through his word that's recorded for us. He speaks to us even through David, inspired by God, as he's written this psalm. And in verses 5 to 8, David speaks of man's dignity. What is man that um, God should care for him? Well, have a look at verse 8, verse 5. It says, You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings... And crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Now, let's sort of step back from that for a moment and just think about our own planet, planet Earth. Uh, What is it that makes our planet special. Well, when astronauts that are, you know, floating around in space look back to Earth, what colour is it? It's a blue planet, isn't it? And that's significant. It's a blue planet. It's created to sustain life. It's the perfect distance from the sun, any closer to the sun and we'd all fry, any further away from the sun and we'd all freeze. And it kind of rotates at the right speed, doesn't it? (laughs) So that, you know, half the planet gets just enough, the the right amount of light and heat uh, so that it doesn't get too cold, whilst the other half of the planet, uh, you know, has darkness and cool so it doesn't get too hot. It rotates at the right speed. Um, There is an atmosphere uh, which insulates us. It stops all those comets from being able to hit us. Uh, but it, uh, it insulates us from harmful rays and, 
and it keeps the oxygen and the moisture in the system. Hey, it's a pretty good idea to look after that atmosphere, don't you reckon? <laughs> Take care of it. About seven months before Apollo 11, there was the Apollo 8 mission, which flew to the moon, <clears throat> orbited it, and flew back. Uh, they were there for Christmas, and on Christmas Eve uh, 1968, lifting their gaze, gaze to the heavenlies, which meant for them back to Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 broadcast this statement. I'd like to read it to you. And I quote, They said, We are now approaching lunar sunrise, and for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the three astronauts um, took turns working through the reading of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through to 10. The American atheists later sued the US government for that as a breach of the First Amendment of the Constitution, which separates church and state. Uh, it went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court threw it out, dismissed the case on the grounds that it actually happened around the moon. It's outside of our geographical jurisdiction. <laughs> That's true. Outside of their jurisdiction. When God made this planet special, he did so for a reason. He did it for us, for you and me. For though we are small... Uh, in verse 5, we are God's special creation. Genesis 1 expounds on that. Genesis 1 tells us that he has made us in his image, which means that he's made us to have relationship with himself. God made you so that you would know God and that he would know you personally. You see, God is not just some cosmic creating machine. He's a person who revels in having fellowship, relationship with us. Uh, in all of creation, there is only one creature who relates to God. You know, the uh, Hubble Space Telescope um, took a picture some years back of a cloud of gas, which the scientists called the Eagle Nebula. It is beautiful and it is big. It is estimated to be 91 trillion kilometres tall. <laughs> that is mind-blowing. And yet it cannot utter a single word to its creator. A little child can. A baby can. A small child can talk to God as a friend because that is why we've been made uh, and that is why we are so important to God who has made us to be the, the rulers over his creation. A number of years back a, a zoo in Denmark put two homo sapiens on exhibit uh, in a, I don't know if it was a cage, but in a zoo exhibit. <laughs> Let's say it was a cage. So how about that? 
what sort of a view of humanity is that? You could go to the zoo, pay your money for your admission fee, and you can go and see the monkeys in their cage, the elephants in their cage, the humans in their cage, the giraffe in their cage. But we're not like the animals. In verses 5 through to 8, we are the ruler of the creation under God. We are the ones who farm the ground. We are the ones who care for the planet. We are the ones who care for its creatures. We are the one to whom God has given us sheep and cattle and plants for our well-being, that we might live well and that we might live in fellowship, in relationship with himself. That's why God is mindful of us. That's why God cares for us. But I think that if, if we take an honest look at Psalm 8, uh, we'd have to confess that our problem is not how small we are. Our problem is not our size. You know, the, the, our problem is not that the Eagle Nebula is 91 trillion kilometres tall and I'm only six foot tall. Our problem is not our size. Our problem is our sin. Because rather than being crowned with glory and honour, we actually fall short of the glory and honour of God. And so we don't rule the world in the way that we should. We don't rule our lives in the way we should. We don't treat one another in the way we should because we don't actually allow God to rule over us. We reject God and his ways and expose ourselves to his judgment. Friends, Psalm 8 <clears throat> actually points us beyond David, its author, and actually points us to Jesus. And it does so in two ways. First of all, there are certain things about God which you and I can know just by opening up our eyes and taking a look at things. The glories of the heavens, the the blueness of our planet, the complexity of things such as the human brain. Before I became a Christian, I, I sometimes thought about these questions. Not very often, I might add, but sometimes I did. And I think that most people, most people, when we're honest, we've, we've got an inkling that there has to be some greater reality. There has to be someone or something who is the cause of all existence. Psalm 8 humbles us in that way. But secondly, God has not just revealed uh, his greatness and his engineering and design wisdom to us uh, through the display of the heavenlies, uh, God has not just left us to wonder about himself knowing that he is great and he is powerful, but that's all. Rather, God has revealed himself to us with clarity and personally. Think about it. If you were God... If you were the one who is so great and so big and so powerful that with your fingers you put the Eagle Nebula into its place, then 
how would you make yourself known to, to us? Little incy-wincy humans. <laughs> how would you do it? God did it by becoming one of us. Uh, in the person of his son Jesus, God became man. That's right. The God who put the stars into position humbled himself and become one of us. <clears throat> in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 16, there were some people who, whose eyes didn't work. They were blind. There were some people who, whose bodies didn't move properly. They were, they were crippled. And they met up with Jesus. And he fixed it for them. Not, not using medicine, but, but with a word. He, he defied, he defied the, the, the nature and he controlled nature and miraculously healed these people. And there are many, many cases of that throughout the Gospels. On that particular time, there were some children who were nearby who, who saw this happening. And what, what was their response? Well, they devote for them just praise and worship of Jesus. They, they sung to him, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to, to the son of David. There were some religious heavyweights that were standing around at the time and they were not particularly impressed by that. Uh, not that they were not impressed that Jesus was accepting praise. And so they challenged him on it. Listen to what, he's, what he said to them. He said, have you never heard... And then he quotes, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Where's that from? Psalm 8. Who is he applying it to? Him? Who is he applying it to? Himself. He's God. And he's also man. Indeed, more than us, he's actually the perfect man. He's the man who, who has always obeyed God the Father. He's not rejected. He's not sinned. I wonder if, you, if you're able to do so, would you come with me to Hebrews chapter 2? Uh, in my Bible, that's on page 846. If you can't find that, that's fine. Um, <laughs> you just listen in. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read to you from verse 5 to verse 9. Let these words soak in. The author to the Hebrews writes, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. I love that verse. That the author to the Hebrews doesn't know that it's from Psalm 8. <laughs> there is a place where someone has testified. What, and here it goes, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. 
In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, that is, he was made a man, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Why is Jesus crowned with glory and honour? It's because he suffered death on the cross, in our place, to pay for our sin so that we would not be under the judgment of God. But he didn't stay dead. Now he is resurrected. He has defeated death and now he has returned to the Father. The effect of this is that Jesus now rules over all creation. And more than that, uh, in the new heaven and the new earth, those of us who have trusted in Jesus, those of us who now belong to him because of what he's done for us on the cross, we will also reign with him. Not in sin, but in righteousness forever, as God intended for his creation, as God intended for us in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, in Psalm 8 verse 2, it is the praise of little children which silences the enemies of God. <laughs> What about us? I mean, who are God's enemies? God's enemy, ultimately, is, is Satan. Uh, how do we break down the stronghold that Satan has over the lives of people? Well, we declare God's praises, don't we? And how would we declare God's praises? Well, ultimately, we would point people to the very person in whom God is fully revealed we would tell people about Jesus and what he's done on the cross. I know that that's sometimes hard. It's often hard. Because people are so consumed. People are so consumed with, with making a living, uh, keeping their head above water, um, getting ahead in life, seeking purpose in life and doing so without actually lifting their gaze to the heavens to consider that greater reality of which we are but a part. Over the next few weeks, as we head towards that anniversary, there's a slight chance that that may be a little bit less so, as uh, people, even people in the media, um, talk about that day when men first walked on the moon. They started talking about it on the news last night, actually. It's uh, starting to become a conversation topic. Now, I understand that many of you were not around in 1969. Or uh, if you were around, uh, you were, you know, Lydia Judas' age at the time. And you may not, you know, you think, what's all this fuss about? 
Peter Charles was not around at this time, he told me after the first service. My recommendation to Peter, and as it is to you, if you, if you don't know what all the fuss is about, there's a great Australian movie called The Dish. You've got to get hold of it. I don't know if it's on Netflix or on Stan or whatever. I think I've got a copy of it. I'll lend it to you. Great Australian... Watch The Dish. It's about the telescope at Parks. Great story. Tells the story of July 20th, 1969. Perhaps with a little bit of... Uh, fiction added into it as well. But what about those who were around at the time? What about our friends who were there who experienced that? Why not ask them if they remember that day? Uh, where did you get to watch it? Was it in the school hall, in the workplace, where you crowded around with your friends? And how did you feel about it? Uh, did your emotions soar? Were you in awe? Were you humbled as you considered the fact that there are other celestial bodies out there? That we're part of something which is much bigger than ourselves. And maybe, just maybe, that might even open up opportunities to speak to people about the one who has created it all. And I'd like to even have the opportunity to talk about his son. And that time when something greater happened, not men walking on the moon, but God walking on the earth. And God became one of us, lived amongst us, and died for us. That more people might actually come to understand uh, what it is to uh, be a creature of God, made in his image, made for his praises, to rule forever by trusting in Jesus. I'm going to lead us in prayer now. Thank you for listening. Father, we want to thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he is the perfect man who uh, came and lived amongst us. We thank you for his death on the cross and for his resurrection. Uh, Father, we pray for ourselves that we would uh, lift our sights beyond that which is ordinary in our lives and to think about the greater reality of your creation and of you. And we pray for our world, we pray for our society, we pray for our friends, that you would work in their hearts and help them to think these things through and even draw some into a friendship with you through Jesus. Amen.